With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. We're coming to you a few days earlier because we are departing for the Australian Open. But our guest this week is a good one, a great one. It is the inimitable, incomparable Mary Carrillo. You know her work, of course, from a variety of outlets, including Tennis Channel, HBO Real Sports, NBC Olympics. You will get Mary on all three of those outlets in the next few weeks. Uh, we talk a bit about the Australian Open, where she'll be appearing um for Tennis Channel, she has a piece on Real Sports airing January 30th that uh, pertains to Margaret Court and some of her controversial views. And then Mary's headed directly to South Korea for the Winter Olympics, her 14th Olympic Games. This is a uh, fun, free-flowing conversation. You, of course, know Mary, and she's been a, I believe this is a third time she's appeared on this podcast. Uh, this is an hour of uh, just tennis talk, and it jumps around a bunch and uh, doesn't have necessarily a linear or structured approach, but I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, here's an hour with Mary Carrillo previewing the 2018 Australian Open. Happy New Year, my friend. John Worth. Hey, John. How are you, man? Oh, all good. You? I'm good. You know, I was thinking you, you are a third time guest. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you very much. The uh, No, thanks. I, I uh, Always fun to spend time with you. Remember last year we did this in the, in a hotel room over coffee. Yeah, I is, do uh, remember that. Um, <laughs> let's start. Let's start with real sports, though, because okay. um, you are not going to be back here to publicize this. But the first real sports of 2018, one of the segments, you and Margaret Court. Yes. Why? Um, well, the se- the pitch, my the exactly. pitch to real sports that I made was not necessarily about Margaret Court. It's it was really. The pitch was, when is a legacy safe? You know, here's Margaret Court, who's won more Grand Slam titles than any man or woman, 62 of them, 24 of them that came in singles. And she, she's had all kinds of honors. She's a Hall of Famer. You know, you know all this stuff. Uh, the third largest uh, arena uh, at the Australian Open is named after her. Um, but, you know, there are people who think her name should be stripped from that 7,500-seat arena. Uh, because of her very strong views as a Pentecostal minister. You know, she is very forthcoming about gay marriage. She's totally against it. Um, she talks a lot about uh, transgender uh, kids and how dangerous that is. She talks about a genderless society that ours is becoming, about a fatherless generation. Um, she has taken swings that, of all people, <laughs> women tennis players. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and 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 so uh, I I spoke I spent a week with Margaret Court in Perth, Australia. Uh, she gave us a great generous amount of time. We we interviewed her for four days. 
We went to the Ministry Life Center, which is very impressive. She does tremendous work, John. I mean, she, uh, there, it's like a campus, this place in Perth. Um, there's four separate buildings. She gives out 24 tons of food a week to 650 families. There are people there trying to overcome all manner of addictions. There are people there that we interviewed that claim that they have been healed. Uh, Margaret also thinks that homosexuality can be overcome if that's what you want to do. Um, so I not only interviewed Margaret, I then went to Miami and Real Sports interviewed Martina Navratilova. And you can imagine the reaction she had to some of the things I quoted back to her that Margaret said. And then we went to New York and interviewed Billie Jean King, who will be at the Australian Open this year and who, in fact, will present the women's champion with the trophy. Um, Margaret Jean, Court is very... Yeah, Billie Jean King will be doing that. It's obviously the 50th anniversary of open tennis. Right. Billie Jean will be there, in fact, for the whole two weeks. Um, so <laughs> Margaret has already decided that, and she, she told me she wouldn't be going to the Australian Open this year. Because, because, because of and this. And she said, well, she says that that's not the reason. She said that she goes to the Australian Open and Wimbledon. Those are the two majors she continues to attend with some kind of regularity, but She's skipping it this year. And frankly, it will be very interesting, won't it, when we get to Australia and we find out, you know, now that I was with, Mar I was with Margaret Court on the day that gay marriage passed in Australia. Um, and she feels that she continues to feel, even though 7.8 million people voted for gay marriage and it passed, Margaret Court continues to feel that she is part of a silent majority. And I will tell you, without giving away too much of... <laughs> of this real sports uh, piece that's coming up. When I said that to Martina, she exclaimed, the majority is never silent. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, but did you, yes. did you reach a conclusion? I mean, you, you raise a, a question. Uh, well, that, it's interesting. You know, my, obviously I have a lot of strong feelings. Uh, Margaret was an idol of mine. Martina and Billie Jean are two more idols of mine, a lot of people. Margaret claims that half of her ministry doesn't even know that she was a great Grand Slam tennis champion. Um, and Margaret obviously has had a much lower profile than both Billie Jean and Martina. I am tempted to agree with a lot of the things that Billy and Martina say about Margaret Court, about how dangerous some of her views can be, how it can create a lot of bullying and all that. But I also witnessed firsthand how much good Margaret does. And, you know, again, we go back to, we go back to the idea of when is a legacy safe? Should Pete Rose be in the hall of fame? Tom Yawkey, the Red Sox owner for 44 years of you know, the Boston Red Sox. He was long accused of racism because he didn't have any blacks on his team. When he finally got in Pumpsy Green in 59, it was 12 years after every other team had already been inviting blacks. I mean, right. but what, the, what about the, the uh, way to get, I mean, when, when, when is it okay? You know, when it, when Margaret court is, and here's the hell of it, John, ironically, it was Billie Jean King who fought, uh, was very vocal for a long time to the Australian tennis federation that they should name a stadium after Margaret, you know, Rod Laver is, was, is a great champion, and no one has a problem with anything Rod Laver has ever done in his whole life. But Margaret Court was a bigger champion. So, I mean, the whole what I hope, what I hope happens if people watch this story, 
is at the end of it, they, they've got a lot on their mind and they have to decide, yeah, when do, when, when is it, you know, especially in the current political climate where there are people who want, you know, statues taken down, you know, Confederate right. war heroes. And, but it's, isn't, uh, there, isn't there a critical difference here that we're not talking about historical sensitivity? We're not talking about Confederate monuments. We're talking about someone who presently acted as isn't, uh, they, they acted offensively in retrospect, that someone right now in present, right. in present tense holds views that are offensive to so many people. Isn't that... Doesn't that sort of change I, the analysis? I, I don't know about that. I mean, I know that I, it, you know, there's a Joe Paterno, the Penn State scandal. Um, you know, the reason that statue came down is because a lot of people felt like, even though he had not done these terrible things to, to boys in the locker room, he was complicit. He knew sure, about it. Sure. Margaret Court has not done anything criminal, has she? Her views, again, can be abhorrent to many people. But she's <laughs> she gets it's free speech, so, right? But I mean that's and that's where that's where it gets subtle and nuanced and tricky. I want people to to watch this thing and at the end not be sure exactly how they feel one way or another. Um, I don't want to give away too much of the episode, but uh, but I, I think you're I think it's a really smart way of approaching it to to frame this not as necessarily Margaret Court, but this sort of broader question but what my, my big one of my big things with margaret cord and in general with what i will call homophobia is the lack of symmetry there's so many issues where somebody gains and someone else loses and we're talking about splitting up a pie on, on this one you are causing pain and you know you, you are causing injury and offense and you don't suffer any in response. I mean, if, if, if I love the you know, expression, like if you don't want to get gay, if you don't like gay marriage, don't get gay married. But did, does she have any recognition of the fact that there are a lot of people she's hurting with her views, so, especially when she makes them public? Well, that's you're you're echoing so much of what Martina says. Um, you know, Martina feels that when Margaret goes public with these stances, um, you know, kids get bullied. You know, people get bullied right, for this. Right. Mar Mar Margaret Court, John, Margaret Court claims that she is the one who gets bullied, that she says what she believes. And she says, these are not my words. These are the Lord's. She's basically saying, I am just going by what my what the good book says. You know, I have taken, you know, Jesus Christ, our Lord, into my into my life. He is this is what he feels. So. She says, I'm getting bullied, and she feels strongly that she has a lot of strong feelings. Um, but one of them is that there is this big gay, American wealthy gay push, that monies are coming into Australia from wealthy gay Americans. <laughs> um, and that is why uh, the whole gay rights movement has picked up so much traction in Australia. So she says, I'm getting bullied. That's that's a hell of a thing to that's a hell of an argument to be making. Well, yeah, I was going to um, say. She uh... says, and she also says, John. She says it's all about the children. She says that over and over again. She feels that if you confuse children by saying you could be a boy, you could be a girl, you don't need a father uh, to to you know, you don't need a, a nuclear family. You know, she says all that is very confusing to children, and she's just trying to make the world safer for children. Sounds like Maud, Again, Maud Flanders. Um, so someone well, someone well, said to me, they said, oh, hey, let me let me ask you this question. Right. What if 
what if the thing that Margaret gets famous for, are, it wasn't about gay marriage or about transgen- the dangers of tra- transgenderism. What if the big thing she was against was abortion? Would we be having this conversation? Would there be people saying, take her name off of that stadium? Well, I, think, I think abortion we've come to accept as an issue where we can take a side, but we understand the legitimacy of the other side. This just seems gratuitous. And all. I mean, it, it flies in the face of social science. I mean, to, to me, ab- abortion is, is a valid issue. And I think people recognize it as you, you can agree to disagree. This just seems gratuitously painful. But, you know, you know, someone asked me, they said, they said, someone asked me, they said, you know, are we going to see protest or have these athletes today just forgotten about it? And I wonder, do, do you think that, you know, as, as you say, marriage equality in Australia passes by overwhelming amounts. We have, we have sit. I mean, I think we've, we've evolved so much on this issue. It, is this just sort of Margaret Court sadly become this this baddie woman with these retrograde views that's now going to eclipse what she achieved in tennis? Or do you think uh, this is something that really needs to be sort of relitigated every year when, when she makes her annual appearance to talk about the lesbians and the gay conspiracy? And I, I can't—I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember the language, but she, some of her—I mean, it's just—it strikes me as crazy talk that almost doesn't merit a serious response. I don't know how you feel about that, but is, is, have we moved on past this, or do you think we need to have a demonstration at Margaret Court Arena at the Australian Open this year? Well, my, my sense of things is that on the Friday before the Australian Open starts, there, in fact, will be the, the tennis facility will be open to sort of something that sounds sort of like a gay pride day. Um, and I think that's probably, I think, look, here's the, here's the other issue, John, which you're very aware of. Margaret Court Arena has its own separate ticket. So if there are players who don't want to play on that court, right. if there are fans who don't want to sit in that court and watch tennis matches, that becomes an issue as well. Do I think it will become a story, at least in the first week of the Australian Open? Yeah, I do, especially because gay marriage passed. Um, I don't know how much of the, of the New Year's fireworks you watched, but over Sydney yeah, Harbor, exactly, there, was, exactly, right. there were rainbow, there right, were rainbow right. colors coming off of the bridge. I mean, I do, I, I, I think that it, 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 it's a continuing story. And again, the, the irony of it all is that a lot of the remarks that, uh, that can be construed to be very offensive are about women's tennis players. You know, she claims that, you know, women's tennis is full of lesbians. She does not say that happily, that right. they, that lesbians took young, young ones in, into parties. Wait till you hear Martina react to that statement. That she said years ago that Mar- she didn't feel Martina was a role model because she was gay. She went after Casey that's, Delacroix but no, but for, that's having, exactly my point. for having this, this children is without a, having a father. This is offensive that, you know, talk that causes pain. This isn't taking a side on an issue that some people may find disagree. I mean, this is, to, to me, she surrendered her boarding pass. Goodbye. Uh, well, uh, anyway. I, um, uh, it, will be, it will be interesting. To, do you think they're going to take her name off of that arena? I mean, again, I part, part of my sense is I, I, don't. I, I don't either. And part of my sense is but I, I do think we need to differentiate between something that it, it may have been offensive looking back like we are with Confederate monuments where someone as opposed to someone who today at this moment in time would say these things. But but I also think at, at this point we've almost moved past it and I don't want to minimize or diminish homophobia, which I think this is. But at the same time, it, we've, we're almost at the point where. 
this is more Grandpa Simpson than something to find threatening. <laughs> anyway, so you um, don't think it's. Are you, so you're saying you don't think it's going to be a big story at this year's Australia? I don't, I don't necessarily think it is, especially with her not being there. Honestly, someone who I know did was displeased by this is Andy Murray, who will not be there. Um, but I also feel like we're, we've moved so far beyond this that it just seems like retrograde blathering more than hate speech. But but I, I think what she says is very offensive. I mean, if you, if you want to have these beliefs, fine. But the way she has consistently articulated them Going after Casey Delacqua as a, as a you know mother and a same sex. I mean, I, I just find these that what you said about the the parties and the lesbian, the crapping on tennis. I, I just feel like you hold these views. God bless you, but uh, I, I think the way she's expressed them is really uh, offensive and not something that should be tolerated as you know agreeing to disagree. Anyway, um, uh, but I look forward to this, and I and I commend you. I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting topic and a good way to animate the topic so uh i haven't yeah. even, i haven't seen it but uh good good on you um let All me right. change let me change uh subjects with you you see the you see the becker documentary i have not seen oh, it oh man i'm dying to should talk I about see, that should i see it yeah it's it's, it's like 90 Ger- minutes it's on it, netflix it's in german right yeah but they're subtitles and uh <laughs> man i'm dying to talk about this with someone um why why tell me why because honestly i i did not he predated me uh I mean, I obviously knew him as a, as a fan, but I, di- I didn't cover him or anything like that. And um, I'm sort of curious. I mean, he emerged as a flawed and yet endearing figure. Um, I did not realize the effect of the extent of Tyriac's influence on him. Mm. And I wonder how surprised people are by where, where, where we are here with Becker in his early 50s. If, if this is a... I can't believe the story is broken this way, or boy, this was predictable. I saw this coming. You've, Are you talking about his uh, financial woes? Yeah, his, just sort of everything. I mean, this is this is not, and you know, his his sister. I mean, this isn't just me. I mean, his his own sister says sort of it's heartbreaking what Boris has become, and he's lost his privacy and. Uh, the the financial woes are obviously part of it. I mean, you, there are all these stories. You've heard these stories about he would fly to a tournament and have two jets, one for him and one for his luggage. I mean, it sounds like this was not a, a smart shopper. <laughs> But um, I, I'm I'm kind of grew fast, you know. I did talk to him a little about Djokovic, but he always felt like he couldn't really speak. And I, I think the uh, oddly enough, this, this documentary has all sorts of access, and they follow him into the operating room, and he talks pretty openly about his finances. And there's maybe two words about Djokovic, which I would argue is sort of the most relevant thing Becker's done. Yeah, the guy guys coached a multiple time Grand Slam champion. That that got very little. Uh, Clearly, one of the conditions was I'll do this, but not a lot of Djokovic talk. But I'm I'm dying to uh, talk to someone right, who, who I knew will, him. I what will you... find it. I will watch it, and and I will report back to you. Right, what, what about I, my? Uh, but what about the fundamental? I mean, are you are you surprised by how this story is broken? Uh, which story? The which story? The no, Becker story? Yeah, Becker's fifty years old and financial trouble and limping and no, <laughs> no, no. Okay. not really. Guys had a lot of uh, complicated. Relationship, relationships in his life. It sounds like he's had tax issues. I mean, it, it's kind of uh, the story of a lot of athletes, isn't it? I mean, it I doesn't surprise me. I, I wish I, I could say that it, it that it would that it did surprise me, but no, no. I and I always heard he was a very, you know, there's a uh, a lot of guys. You know, you hear about Kafelnikov's gambling and how right, much trouble right. he got into. Andre Medvedev is gambling. Another Russian. Uh, Becker, you know, 
that these are high stakes games that I think uh, I, my sense of things when you hear about Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and the money they throw down uh, in Las Vegas, whatever, I, I have a feeling that athletes, great athletes, they, they get used to highs. They get used to yeah. the exhilaration of throwing it all down, putting it on the line. And when they can't do it physically, they try to find some other way to do it. And a lot of times you can get in real trouble if you, uh, if you go that way. So no, I, I cannot say that. I think he's a complicated fellow, Boris Becker and an interesting one. Um, uh, but no, I can't say that it's a surprise. They, they follow him into a a casino. I'll have you, uh, I'll have you know, and you you, you know what, uh, I, I smell a real sports segment. <laughs> athletes trying Another to rec- athletes trying to uh, replicate the high of uh, of competition by uh, playing in front of big yeah, stacks of poker chips. You've I, done I, I also, by the way, I also think it's why a lot of former athletes get into drugs. You know, they they the highs that they created with their own hard work and discipline, and you know, once they still they miss it. I think it's something that they truly miss in the same way that you know there can be a gambling high, and right. so. They try to find it in other ways that can be very destructive. Um, this is a family podcast, but uh, I would okay. add I would add that there's a uh, there's there's a there's a sex dimension to that as well. Absolutely, um, there, there's what, a reason. Yeah, why, you know, um, there are all kinds of excess that can get you into all kinds of trouble. I, I just I I always say this about athletes, and then we'll talk about the Australian Open. It must be such a strange life cycle to have. You know, you're you're 24, 25, 26 years old, and you have reached your peak earning powers in most cases. You have reached your peak notoriety, your peak exhilaration, and you yeah. you you retire. We were talking about these athletes, and they struggle with this retirement decision. I totally get that. You imagine being 30 right. years old and saying, like, the next 50 years, I'm not going to be able to replicate the, <laughs> anything that I've achieved in the the first third of my life. Um, yeah, that's, anyway. but it's one more reason why I, I'm so admiring of athletes, that they work totally so agree. hard from totally such agree. a young age. Totally and the athletic heart is one of my favorite hearts around. I really love the way it beats and how hard it works and, and how everything means something to them, you know? It's so funny. So, someone said, don't you get jaded by athletes? And I always say the exact opposite. I have more awe and respect for athletes now than you know, when I started 20 years, it, it's all the other bullshit yeah. and it's the, the agents and the handlers. <laughs> and like, that's where the cynicism is. The, the actual athletes themselves, oh, I, I, I find more impressed by, exactly. That's a great word. Exactly. I'll tell you glorious. the other thing too, is don't, don't you feel like the, the, the gyms and the Lindsay's who are able to successfully make that transition, the, the Mary Carillas as well, but um, someone like Jim Courier, who has just, for whatever reason, he's been able to make this really, really graceful transition away yes. from sports but and to have other interests and curiosities. Lindsay's the same way. It's, it's really yes. remarkable. Well, it's well, they're very bright. They're, these are intelligent, thoughtful, curious. intellectually curious, curious people. So that really helps. I mean, I, I never lasted as long in tennis matches when I was a player. Uh, you know, <laughs> as I do at tennis tournaments now. Right, right. So right. I, I don't include myself in this conversation at all. But, I, yes, and, and I, I especially like players who want to hang around, who, you know, who in, in whatever capacity, whether it's to coach or to 
help run tournaments or to, to, to be on television. Absolutely. It's their, their passion doesn't really diminish. They just move it sideways somehow. I mean, I, I, I'm very, I'm that rare bird who somehow parallel parked her way into a television career. You know, oh, stop. I, I've read. No, I mean, no, you have, <laughs> again, I, I feel like the, the word curiosity and we can talk about that. With, you know, it's, it's a word that's come a lot uh, up a lot recently in respect to our president. It's um, this this curiosity, <laughs> I think, more than intelligence. Yes. Is so oh, I, I so agree cool. with that. But, yes. Um, you know what they're I, doing in yeah. uh, you know what they're doing in a week. They're starting a What's Grand that? Slam. It's going to be a Grand Slam tournament. Um, let's talk a tiny bit Australian Open. I'd be happy to. I loved last year's Australian Open. It was my favorite no, Grand exactly. Slam event ever. I was gonna. Say, I was gonna say that could be his like. The the Williams Williams one night followed by a, a five setter Federer yeah. Nadal it's that's as good as it gets. Yeah no I loved I loved it and and this year will be obviously there's going to be some very important people missing I think we have to draw a very clear distinction between you know okay the men ha- are suffering big injuries Nadal his knee and his wrist so it looks like he's going to play right. Babrinka out with a knee Djokovic who knows if he's if his elbow will be fit enough Murray's out with a hip, you know, I mean, that's all, those are all tennis injuries, you know, and obviously we've had Del Potro and Raonich with their own injuries, but on the women's side, the absences are not, I mean, Sharapova was gone for 15 months because she was, she was serving a doping suspension. Kvitova got stabbed in her playing hand. Zika has a custody battle going on. uh, Serena just had a kid a couple of months ago. So (laughs) these are notable absences, but, you can't, you can't, it's apples and oranges comparing the men to the women. Uh, the reason that some of the, the women aren't there, or, you know, right. or have been missing of late. It's not because of overplay. It's, if anything, they've underplayed or not played. No, I, I think that's a good distinction. Um, we will see about our U.S. Open champion, Sloane Stevens, as well. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, no, but I mean, the Serena absence obviously has, has nothing to do with hard courts and playing too many matches uh, in in the sun. Um, though, though I do well. Did, did you happen to see what what Patrick said about Serena? Moradiglou said, "Yeah, yeah, I did. That was interesting." Um, well, I, you know, I think he's absolutely right. I I don't want to watch Serena come back and try to you know find her form and lose in the second round trying to defend her title. You know, right? I'm I'm. Now, and I never expected her to go to Australia. Frankly, I think the first major she'll really be ready to compete in and win is Wimbledon. I mean, yeah, maybe she'll yeah, – I know she's supposed set, right, to play right. a lot earlier than that, right. and that's fine. But, uh, you know, I see her tying Margaret Court's 24th major record at Wimbledon this year. And, and that's, I think that will be a lot of fun to, to watch. I, um, I, I'm, more, I'm more interested now. Here's Simona Halep who gets – I was going to say, give me the, uh, right, right, good. For the first time, she gets seated number one in a major. Um, and keep in mind, last year she lost in the first round of the Australian. <laughs> so there's a lot of people, I think, I'm glad Belinda Bencic is playing good tennis again. Right. Uh, it sounds like Kerber's playing well. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I think, I think it'll, and on the men's side, there's a lot of young guys that I'm really happy about. Well, uh, Stefano, I was going to say, Sitsipas fever. You've got it too. Um, wait, stay, uh, let's let's stick with the women. Stick, stick with the women for a second, though. Um, All right. 
the defending champion. What do you sir, think? If I said to you, Carolyn Wozniacki, 2018 Australian Open champion, would would you it concur, would reject, or modify? <laughs> the, here's the, the only reason I would say she's not one of the favorites is because it sounds like the uh, the hard courts at the Australian Open are going to carry the same kind of speed they had last year. And that was a nice, fast court. And yeah, right, that, that right. rewards, I think, bigger hitters than Wozniacki. Right. So, but, I mean, the fact that Caroline ended 2017 as well as she did was, I mean, I, I would love, I would love to see her win just one stinking major yeah, exactly. before she, before she goes. She's, she's <laughs> so done her time. I don't have a problem. I'd like to see it. I, and again, I, I truly wish that Simona Halep wins her first major in 2018. She's a nice girl. She works hard. She's had some absolutely heart wrenching right. losses, um, and I think she—I I think she deserves it. I, th- I really do. I want to see Muguruza play well. I want to see Joe Conta be fit enough to really challenge. Uh, there's a lot of—I'm—I'm kind of into this. I must say, I'm kind of—I'm kind of happy with the way it's, things are uh, shaking out. It is a wide open, you know. I mean, it's a wide open frontier. We will see what Conestoga wagon. Uh, Makes it through seven <laughs> rounds. What, what about the def- – we, we have not mentioned the – she's 37 years old, but we have not mentioned the defending yeah. runner-up. That's true. Why, why, why discount Venus? I mean, she, she did – you know, you could make the case that she had a better Grand Slam season than just about anybody last year, though she didn't win one. Right. She got deep into two of them. And, again, if that court is going to play the same way this year as it played last year, that's going to reward her game. Never won the Australian Open. It's fun. It is fun. I mean, you know, Never, we, we've been, Madison Keys is coming yeah, off no, of, of, of final at the last major. We we got options here. We got options here. What and and I, I, I you know we can keep talking about the women, but that Rafa Nadal has only won this thing once. This is the only major where Rafa has not won it multiple times. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, would. Um, so I, I, I always talk men, but I I always say about that that. Last Rafa's up three one in the fifth set last year, and apart from everything else, you're right. If he wins that match, he will have won every major multiple times. That whatever it is, twenty five minute interval from Rafa serving, you know, from Rafa up three one in the fifth set to Rafa failing to close, is one of these intervals that's going to fifty years from now that will be a pivotal interval in tennis history. Yep, I think so. And, but the fact is, but then Rafa went on and won two more majors last year anyway. So, I, look, I, last year, you know, we were wondering if Rafa and Roger were going to be able to get back the form that had gotten them so great, and right. they both had career years. I mean, this year, last year at this time, you know, Andy Murray was number one in the world. Novak Djokovic was right behind him. And those two are, I don't, who knows? I, I don't know if Djokovic is going is to play in Australia. I know Andy... I feel badly for Andy because it sounds for all the world like he was hoping that this torn labrum of his wasn't going to require surgery. So he did everything he could to avoid surgery. And now it sounds like he's got to get in. He's got to get under the knife anyway. That's a, that's a real pity. And and it sounds like Djokovic's elbow problem. You know, he's, he tried to do everything to avoid surgery on that thing. Um, And I, boy, do I understand that. Um, But I, you kind of think, I, I think to myself, man, what, maybe these guys, you know, played the long game instead of getting cut and being on the men quicker. But again, what do I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, so. That's how I feel. Murray. A year Murray, ago, I, 
Yeah. Yeah. What do What do you think? I mean, I just. Yeah, I have I have extreme views about these injuries. I mean, I, f- I feel like sport of a lifetime is suddenly uh, perhaps a slogan in need of reassessment. But um, <laughs> where, where are you in terms of just it's a physical sport and athletes get hurt? And, you know, I mean, I, I like the Indianapolis Colts and they didn't have their quarterback because he got hurt. I mean, the injuries are part of sports. But I, I just I think there's just it's sort of emperor's new clothes. I mean, everyone's carried away with whether we're going to have electronic line calls and we're going to have, you know, no ad scoring and doubles. And meanwhile, there's a very, what I think is this existential issue of you just don't have a healthy field. And well, and and I think, again, this is a, you know me well, you know, I have a lot of half-baked theories, but one of my half-baked theories on, on all the, on, on the hip injuries and the wrist injuries is I, I just think that, open stance ground strokes have created these kind of problems. You know, players more and more, even, you know, in the wake of all of the string technology, the racket technology, everyone's trying to hug the baseline as tight as can be. Right. And you don't, you don't really have time to set up the way you used to, where you actually rotated your hips (laughs) and your shoulders. You just, you know, and used, you know, your big muscle systems in those ways. And now, you're putting stress on smaller bones and muscles, like in the wrist, uh, in the elbow. Uh, the hips are taking a beating, I think, from open stance, right. ground strokes. Um, and because of the ferocity, the velocity of the ball, a lot of people, you know, you can, they can still get to some balls, but then they're hurting their wrists trying to do it or their elbows or whatever. I, I do think that you have to follow the trends of the sport uh, stroke-wise, you know, the mechanics no, of the sport totally, to figure out right. – you know, I mean, I have, I, I, I have to just sort of jump back to Margaret Court for, court for a second. I was picking her brain on tennis. I mean, this is a woman who, I, and, and I said to her, you know, she's not that crazy about modern day women's tennis because she thinks it's kind of boring. And here's another one of my half big theories. I, I honestly feel that Serban Bali, the destroyer of Serban Bali tennis, was a two handed backhand. Because when I was a kid, boy, oh boy, was I taught, you know, you serve into someone's backhand yeah, right. and you they come to the you net and pick off the volley. Right, exactly. But anyway, so I proposed this idea to Margaret. And clearly she had never heard anything like it before. <laughs> but I think she kind of dug it. I think she kind of gave it a, a bit of a think and said, yeah, that could be, that could be a pretty good reason why you can't serve them. I mean, who the hell wants to serve into somebody's? Exactly. No, they say uh, yeah. you're you're almost better off with a slower. But no, exactly. You watch this old footage. What do you do? You you serve into the backhand. They give you some one handed chip. You've got exactly. time to take that extra step. Big difference between you that. Pick it and... off at the net. Exactly. I just um, here's a little tangent for you. But you you worked with Dick. Okay. Ever... You worked with Dick Dick, Dick Eversall, right? You worked with Dick Eversall. I did. So I he did, he indeed. asked me one time. Uh, he said, "Tell me what's unique about the Concord." And. Uh, I, I, it was some, you know, this was a great logic question. I didn't know the answer. But his response was, this was one of the few times, name me another right. time in history where you had technology and it was rejected. That you used to right. have this ability to get from London to New York or from Paris to New York in whatever it was, four hours, and yeah. we reversed. And now it takes lo- it takes longer to get from Europe to New York than it did 20 years ago. Um, Correct. His his point was, you know, it's it's seldom that we go backwards. This is a rare outlier. Is tennis prepared? Which is this brings me to uh, technology. I mean, is, is tennis prepared to say 
you know what? All of this Luxalon string and all of these rackets that precipitate these open stances and that uh, do away with slice returns, is tennis prepared to basically reverse technology and undo progress and revert? No. <laughs> all right. So it's, no. Um, no. It can put me down for an emphatic no, especially – I mean, are you just talking about in the professional game or for club players? And yeah, well, I mean, that's the other players... thing, too. But if, if this equipment isn't just restricted to pros, but I'm saying if, if we determine, if, if God forbid tennis actually puts some, instead of people <laughs> like you and me, no, but instead of everyone has a speculation, everyone has an idea, and the athletes overtrain, and they're all, it's hardcore. If someone actually did a longitudinal study, well-funded, peer-reviewed, why are these players getting hurt? And they came back with, right. it all starts with the racket and strings, which I think is absolutely right. Do you think tennis would ever say, you know what, we we need to uh, somehow ban the material that we've been using now? Well, as, as someone who's about to embark on my 14th Olympic Games, <laughs> I, uh, right after the Australian, I'm, like you, I'm heading to Pyeongchang. Every oh, sport has every sport has equipment upgrades. Every single sport, whether it's skis or skates or the luge or whatever, everyone's always trying to find a material that is stronger, that is lighter, that is more flexible, that is stiffer. So to ask tennis to, to take a step back, I think is, I, I, I just cannot imagine, I wouldn't mind it. I mean, baseball, you know, wooden bats in the yeah, right, in major league right. baseball. I mean, there, there are sports that are clever enough to understand that, you know, if we want to keep the game uh, singularly beautiful and uh, and complicated and subtle or whatever it is no, you're hoping about, to do, how about healthy? Sport. I mean, that that to me, it's not or, even well, about the aesthetics. I mean, all this flexible, right. softer material is great, but if the three of the three of the five best men's players are missing a slam for the second straight time, we got problems. I remember. Look, it, it goes back to Gustavo Kirten winning the French Open for the first time. With those with those strings he used, and and I, I remember at the time Andre Agassi saying that should be exactly. illegal. Exactly, it's cheating. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's wait like a cheating, that, right? But yep. but guess what? Uh, a lot of professional tennis players are using those, that stuff, and I I'd be very surprised. First of all, you're right. Facts would be good. Facts, data, crazy research, crazy would be. It would be a lovely thing. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen in a real way. Um, but I would love to think that if, if you can deliberately, very factually point to something that is causing injuries. Um, I just think it's... A, that, that players have to accommodate their own strokes to live with the current technology. And that's what's causing injuries. Yeah, right, I, right, yes, right, I, right. I, can, I can see, but I don't see that happening anytime soon, do you? I, I, I just I, think this is Emperor's New Clothes stuff. I mean, I just for as much time as spent on 20 seconds versus 25 seconds and the balance, I mean, something is right. gone, something is distressingly wrong here, and nobody really wants to, as long as, as long as they're giving out trophies on the second Sunday, everyone's happy, but boy. Uh, and, but it also, I think you also have to keep in mind that the lighter frames, the livelier strings, they keep a lot of tennis players who don't do it to make money you know, club players, whatever, it makes it easier for them. It makes kids' rackets or, you know, right. lighter, bigger. All oh, oh, There's all kinds of ways in which by progressing it, you know, and, and by changing up equipment, 
it makes it makes older people it makes it easier for older people to continue to to love the game. It makes younger kids yeah, you, know, you have to you have to take it all and that's why when you know all these rule changes come about and and all right, let's we're not playing let's anymore. I'm thinking, wait, so that's across the board? You hate like, this stuff. Women women's women's doubles, like club tennis, they they have to play let's now? These women who've got like, you know, knee braces on and stuff, they've gotta hustle up and try to play a let ball. Like we're, we're, what are we talking about when we talk about sweeping changes, you know? Yeah, I just I, think that they, they've, got, they've got to be thoughtful. They've got to, they've got to make sense um, in, in real ways, not just because, hey, I have an idea. <laughs> um, the, the American concentration focus level has gone way down, so let's speed everything up. I don't know I, about my, that. I, I'm not... Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I play basketball every Saturday and we play to 11 and the court isn't regulation size. And it, I mean, I feel like we can, right. it's funny. I, I was just, that's what I mean. yeah, and, but that's fine. That's how you, you accommodate according to either your talent level or your age or, or, you know, or the facility you're using. That's what I'm saying. It's got to be sensible. Right. That's all. Just, I mean, I wouldn't mind a little, a little sense every now and then just for the, Vienna just for the hell of it. I was just reading a story about Vienna and they had this great line about how in, v- Vienna is what it is because Austrians will always favor tradition over innovation. Um, sometimes I fear <laughs> tennis goes the same way. Uh, all right, so real quick, so is, so is Roger winning this thing again? He's, to my mind, the, the, the favorite. Absolutely. He's a favorite. I don't know if he's going to win it again, but I don't see anybody in, in, in better form. I, I'm digging Grigor Dimitrov. You are. There's a guy. I'm, I, oh, I, wow. I like him. There are some people I just really like anyway. Right. And right. that Grigor, Grigor was able to finish the year behind only Nadal and Federer in 2017, and that he's playing such nice-looking tennis in 2018. He's there are guys I root for. He's one of them. Andy Murray. I I just I there some guys have my number. You know, you. whether it's on the court or off the court. Right. And, right. And so yeah, I think uh, I think Roger for sure is a favorite. I'm still not sure how wonky Rafa's knee is. I hope he's good, but. Yeah. You know, it's hard to know, man. It's hard to know with with some of these guys. I guess the, uh, you know, I mean, every every other playing every other day uh, cuts one way. Best of five cuts another. Um, Wait, I I can't remember. I thought I feel like maybe I talked about this on the podcast. You know what I love about Dimitrov? Maybe I talked about this. Maybe I with. But um, you ever ever see there was a there was a gag video during the uh, the World Tour Finals in London where Ryan Harrison is asking (laughs) ridiculous. You know, you ever remember when like Bruno, when Sasha Barracone plays Bruno and he almost gets beat up every other episode because people, they're asking Grigor Dimitrov these ridiculous questions, and he's too nice yeah. a guy to say, you know what, this isn't professional. You know what, one more, and then I'm out of here. Yeah. And he's sitting there, and I, I'm thinking that actually was really interesting insight into uh, what, what you know, I completely know unscripted. He's, but uh, anyway. Yeah, no, no. There's he, he's he's there's a he's he was so tolerant, and he's. He's like that. I, again, I give I give bonus points to any tennis player who can speak three or four languages and is willing to do it at every stinking press conference right, too. Right. Like, so, so a guy like Grigor, the fact that he is, I mean, you could tell how how loved he is in that locker room. I mean, and I understand why. So I'm hoping he has a big year. Again, there's some young guys. I'm hoping throw it down. I'm the fact that I'm I'm and John, you you. I'm sure you're aware of this. The youngest active 
men's Grand Slam champions are both 29 years old. Unbelievable. There there was a uh, there was a time until about a year ago when Djokovic, who's you know he's going to be 31 this year, was the youngest player to have won a Masters 1000. I mean, it's it's amazing. (laughs) It is, but I mean that that Juan Martín Del Potro and Marian Cilic are the youngest active. Right. Del Del Potro was 2009. I'm, I'm I'm really really hoping that. You know, all those players that are in their 20s or even in their late 20s, like Milos Raonic, who might finally have a healthy year in them, you know, or Kane Shikori, who's missing the Australian out, again, yeah. but hopefully he'll come back. Like, there's, there that, there's that lost, lost in the sauce 20s group right. that, I, that I hope comes and good. And you know, the, uh, the, the boys in marketing have, uh, have passed them by. Now it's, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they they had their they <laughs> yeah. had their uh, two or three years to make hay, and now we've moved on to the next model to roll off the. Now, now we got the iPhone eights, but um, you mentioned now, yeah. Now you've got to be twenty one and under. Exactly. That's one of the silliest ideas I've ever heard of. Twenty one um, and under, really? Yeah, huh. it's all about the demo. Um, but you mentioned a nineteen year old. I think he's nineteen. I can look this up. Um, this Stefanos Zitsipas is. Uh, I saw him play that guy. Love that guy, right? Digging him. Big boy. Yeah. Big boy. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. No, no, no. He's going to get bigger and stronger. He'll fill out the way that Sasha Zverev has. Um, I like him a lot. I like this Alex Minard a lot. I like Denis Shapovalov a lot. You do. Michael Moe looked good, too. Uh, yeah, there's some, there's some young guys. that, and, and I don't know. They, have a, they seem to have, for all the work that they've clearly put in, Rublev as well, they seem to have a, a, a playful attitude out there. They're enjoying themselves. Um, that stuff can go away in a hurry. Right. <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen a lot of young players who, by their sophomore year, are looking kind of cranky and crabby. And, but these, those guys really seem to, especially Denis Shapovalov for me. Right, right. Shapovalov, I should say. But, uh, yeah, this Greek guy, Stefanos Tsitsipas, is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm hoping big things for Nick Kyrgios. Oh man, I didn't expect you to. Uh, I didn't expect you I'm, to go I'm there. I'm throwing him down. Really? I'm, I'm, I I want Nick to have a good year. I I still think it would be nice if he if he thought strongly about getting a coach. But yeah, he's not. He, you know, uh, he and he and Sebastian Grosjean are no more. Wait, can I ask you an honest <laughs> question? Among friends, Please. between friends, you and I have talked about this on air. Wait, when did you? Uh, when did you come around on this guy? Well, no, I when he. When he plays well and means well, I'm on his side every time because of his talent. I mean, I, 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 have, I have difficult issues watching him tank or watching him curse or watching him, you know, say stuff to his opponents that you're, just, you're not even supposed to say in a locker room. I mean, so, you know. See, that's my I mean, one. That's, I, I, that's, my, that's my deal. The, the, the thing with, with Vavrinka, which already, you know, two and a half years ago, was just that's a deal. In, inexcusable. And, and that's other than that. I feel like everything else is self-directed and sort of self-sabotaging. You follow him on social media or you just sort of see, see him interact with fans. And I, I just, I can't work up the outrage for that guy. Cause I feel like the clearly he is much younger. I agree, but you don't know. You, you can't work up a good outrage for a guy who tanks matches. The, the stand thing to me was the big one. And outside uh, no, look, of that, is it, I feel like there are, yeah, there are a lot of pressures there. He's very whatever his age is chronologically. It's about half that in terms of emotional maturity. I feel like he's, I don't know. I mean, you see athletes in other I, sports, I think, and the worst thing you can say is like he plays two weeks in a row, gets tired, and can't close out. Uh, 
I'm not talking about getting tired. I'm talking about tanking. Mm. I, that to me is not just, that's not a self-inflicted wound. He's doing that to the whole tournament. He's doing it to the fans. He's doing it to, to television. He's, that's not, no, no, no. Look, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I would love very much for Nick Kyrgios to throw all that stuff off the canoe and, right. and, and right. just, and live up to himself. And, and, and I think he can. And my hope is that in 2018, he finds his way and, and stops doing the wackadoodle stuff, the nutty stuff, the uh, offensive stuff that mars his greatness. Because I, I think he's a great player. I think he's charismatic as hell. Right. Um, we need, we think, need uh, him to be at his best. You, I mean, you, you had that lengthy interview with him, I, I think, in D.C. or Cincinnati. Did, yeah, last did, summer. Yeah. Did you come away thinking— I loved him. I was going to say, fundament, I mean, again, not, not everything he does is advisable, not everything, but fu- fundamentally, good guy. Oh, look, as I said, he, I think he is, he is young and raw in a lot of ways, right, but right. he's wildly, crazily talented. And, I mean, I don't even mind it when he hits, you know, crazy shots between his legs exactly. and stuff because clearly he's just trying to keep himself engaged. Keep yourself engaged, exactly. <laughs> exactly. In the same way that I, I thought there were times when John McEnroe blew up on the court because he was getting a little bored. He was winning a little too easily. Right. I think that can happen with Nick. It's his way to get, you know, to, in a way, in a crazy way, refocus. Um, so, no, no, there's a lot about him I am more than willing to forgive. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm... I'm agreeing with you, basically. I'm saying that this is a guy who the sport genuinely needs to 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 be at his his best, at least most of the time. That's all. I'm not asking no. for it. I'm not asking for everything. <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> but it would be nice. It's a good ask. It's a good ask. <laughs> I, I always say, um, tell me what you think of this crazy theory. One of the most I, valuable. I love, hey, you know, I love I love crazy theories. Um, that, the more half-baked, the better. No, but feel, feel free to knock this one down. But the one of the All most right. valuable assets in tennis right now is Roger Federer's social media. You know why? Oh, you know why, though? Because, I mean, you know, whatever. We, we all, every we, we line up to praise the guy. But, but the message that that sends to the rest of the field, <clears throat> that you can play at this level and have the pressures and obligations that this guy has and still have thoughts beyond tennis and still be goofy yeah. and still be light. Oh, yeah. You, oh, you, yeah. you don't see, you no, don't no, see no. Tiger Woods say, you know, who, who wants to wear a bear's costume or, I mean, it's <laughs> what, if you're, if you're following you, we talked about those players today who have a good attitude. If you're, if you're yeah. 20 years old and you see that Roger friggin' Federer at age 36 can can still do clap emojis when he f- comes across the funny <laughs> YouTube video. It, it's really endearing, and I think is is sort yeah. of encapsulates what a lot of people like about the guy. But I also just think it sends such a great message to the rest of the field that you don't have to give up a certain sort of essential happiness to well, do this job really yeah, well. I, I I I cannot agree with you anymore. I I don't. And again, we've both covered an awful lot of athletes in a whole bunch of sports, John, but I have never met anyone like him, ever, ever. That somebody who brings, apart from all of the talent and passion, uh, he brings so much joy to the game. And in fact, I asked Nick Kyrgios that last summer. I said, of, of all of the things that Roger Federer 
has done, especially this year, especially at this age, after everything he's already won, after all he's already accomplished, the fact that he continues to find such joy in tennis, is that what you admire most? And is that what you would want more <laughs> right. than anything else? Right. It, and, and, and curious aloud that, you know, yes, there's no one like Ronder. Curious is not built like that. And, and I, don't, I don't know how, I, I, I don't know how anybody after all of this time can still walk so lightly and with so much, again, with so much joy as he does on and off the court. I mean, the things, the little things that he does right every single day, and it's just in him like the grain in wood. It doesn't seem like, it's why, and I think Grigor Dimitrov has an awful lot of that. Right, um, right. It's, it's an instinct. It, it's, it, that's in, it, it's just in there. It's a, it's a bone-deep awareness and, and self-knowledge. And I, and, and I, don't and, even, I think it's so authentic. Like, I don't think someone's whispering in his yeah. ear, hey, I mean, I heard, yeah. I heard a great story recently where, uh, you know, he walks past a doubles guy, and, and the guy doesn't even know if he knows who he is, and Roger says, you know, hey, are you playing with Rajiv Ram, or did you switch over to, uh, you know, Robin Clausen? <laughs> I just made up yeah. his names, but he he knows the goings on and yeah. the intrigue for the number fifty six ranked doubles player. He's just part of the culture, that's and ex- why wouldn't I know that? That's exact. That's exactly right, and and uh, it, it is so it's so taking when he does that. Remember a couple of years ago, he ends up playing a guy ranked what seven hundred seventy four in the world or something. A guy who came the Brit who came through pre qualies. Oh yeah, Marcus Willis. Yeah, court. Marcus Willis. Sure. Roger knew that story. Yeah, Roger, exactly. You know, he, exactly. Reme- I, I loved it. Roger right. said, oh, yeah, I've been reading about him. Right. <laughs> I've been reading about him? Like, you're trying to win Wimbledon, but you're, you want to know yeah, your second exactly. round opponent? Right. Like, you're caught up in the Marcus Willis. No, you remember. He's like, it's a great there? story. Someone should option this for a movie. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> oh, boy. There's a. Uh, ah, it's pretty funny. We're lucky. Like we're lucky, lucky to have that we're guy. Um, all right, this was almost and an it, hour. And it's going to be a good Australian. I know it's going to be. You're, you're going to. I hope you have the good sense to chop this up. But hell no. I, I, no chop. I'm willing to. I, I want to tell you that I'm very. I think it's going to be a very interesting 2018. You know what happens every and, uh, time at these events. The first few days, or there's there's some sort of scandal, and there's some negative story, and there's some upset, and when will tennis this and the American tennis will. By the middle of the week, it's sort of wheat gets separated from chaff. The adults, it, it really, and these things always end up on dignified notes. And the, the first, yeah. Demir, Demir Dokic is throwing fish, and it ends up with the Williams <laughs> sisters winning the tie. It always works out that way. So I'm, I'm, uh, think, I'm with you. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun, and I'm delighted that I'll be uh, with you the whole trip. Oh, likewise. Looking forward we'll, to we'll have some laughs. We'll have some laughs. That's, that's, uh, we'll have laughs and good coffee. What more do you want? Uh, deal, deal. Um, go pad your uh, mileage account. I, uh, I'm, I'm envious <laughs> of your frequent flying, but um, I, the, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm more and more. I'm thinking that to belong to so many million mile clubs is a sign that something's something's mm-hmm. terribly wrong. That I'm, I'm up in the air so much. You know what? That can't be healthy. It's uh, but it's fun. There's there's a book about that. Um, and the market court piece airs real quick. I should know this, and I don't have on, it in front of me. And it, the first real sports of 2018, it airs on January 30th. The women's final is the 17th, the men's is the 18th. So this runs a couple of days after that. Craig Tiley, the tournament director, is going to speak to us in the first week. 
for our piece. So we'll have a fourth voice to go along with Martina's, Billie Jean's, and Margaret's. Okay. Um, okay. So, and let me just tell you oh, one quick thing. Barrett Remack is the producer of this, a good friend of yours oh, and mine. Sold. Uh, good. Yes, and, and Barrett had not met Billie Jean before we sat with her a couple of weeks ago. And really? Well, more, more than anything, she came away and said, what I like about Billie is that you can watch her think. <laughs> I would say something to Billie Jean about, and it's so true, because Billie gets into these sort of reveries, where she, and then she'll say, wait a minute, i got to think about that. i got to... And, it, you know, I mean, Mar- Martina knew exactly how she felt right away. Right, right. Billy would give something a think, and, and Barrett loved that you could watch her think. That's so un And you can. It's, yeah, that's, it's pretty cool. Anyway, oh, we'll see how it goes. That's a great observation. I wish we did more of yeah. that. Uh, yep. s- sadly, out of step with the times, I fear, but uh, good on Billy. Um, yep. This was fun. It was great. I always is, if my I, friend. If I'll I buy coffee, soon. we'll do this mid-tournament. All right. And All wa- right. watch After. the uh, 80 minutes. Watch the, watch the Becker film. I'll give I you my watch login. I the Becker film. I, you can steal my login. i on that. All right. All right. Very good. Safe lo- travels. All right. All right. See you, my okay. friend. Take care. All right. That's it for this week. Thank you to our guest, Mary Carrillo. Thanks, as always, to Tennis Producer extraordinaire Jamie Lasanti. Some of you have asked, why don't we do longer podcasts? Well, that one, Jamie, tell me if I'm wrong. Did we hit the one hour mark on that one? Just about, yes. Just about. Um, time flies when you're talking tennis and uh, other topics with uh, with Mary Carrillo. Um, Jamie Lasanti, your takeaways from having just listened to an hour of uh, free form tennis talk. It was great. Give me your headline. Well, first of all, Mary's very fired up about her conversation with Margaret Court, and she puts on a good preview for us to all listen and watch. I'm interested in that. Headline number one. Headline number two, Australian Open headlines. The one thing that I didn't really realize until now, Simone Halep, star contrast this year. And last year at the Australian Open. She is the top seed, and she's defending virtually nothing. Um, I think I think it was sort of a, a, a nasal injury. I mean, I think uh, last year she was not moving well, but also had some, uh, I, I think, some residual issues from a surgery and um, lost in the first round, I believe, without looking this up. I believe it was to Shelby Rogers. It was. Ooh, you looked that up? Uh Nice win for Shelby Rogers. We haven't heard much from Shelby Rogers, but uh, no, I think uh, Mary's pick of Simona Holop is um, is is a good one. It would be nice for her if she won. I can say Simona Holop, as Mary said, has some uh, some rough defeats, but she's very admirable and honorable in those defeats and uh, talks about them openly. And I think that's a sign of a fully formed adult. But I think that's also sort of uh, an, an earmark of a champion that you confront these things, however unfortunate. Um, I think Simona Halep has has a real chance to win. Going back to Margaret Court, um, did did that make sense? The point I was trying to make about drawing a line between what people did from from Pete Rose to Yaki to you know pick your con- Confederate monument to someone who today, if you tap them on the shoulder and ask them, they would still hold these views. I mean that that's one reason I have no. I think there's a debate to be had about historical figures who may have acted offensively today, and we can assess their behavior in uh, 
with some historical sensitivity, but I big, mean, big difference between that and Margaret Court in the present tense. At, at the very basic level, there's not an asterisk, on, you know, for everyone that you mentioned, there was no asterisk on, you know, their plates and stadiums and their, you know, nameplates and all these things. There's not an asterisk that says they said this and they did that. I mean, those those things are there and they're being honored for athletic achievements at the bare minimum, right? It helps if they are good people and they say nice things. I, I understand what you're saying. And I just think now, today, it's very hard for people to separate the two. Um, you know, you guys talked about Roger Federer and how he's just exemplary in that respect. And so when you have someone like him who will not only be remembered for everything he's done athletically, but also because of the kind of person he is, it's hard to put those two people in the same Hall of Fame room when, you know, people have said things in the present. So I heard an interesting theory about these confederate monuments and about past figures and whether we should tear down statues or rename buildings and one of them was was the behavior that today through today's lens would be offensive was that central to who they were so george washington owning slaves unfortunate regrettable today it would be outrageous but was this central to how we think about george washington perhaps not someone like john c calhoun who the legacy is tied to his views on slavery, um, that's another story. So I, th- I thought that was an interesting way to sort of assess this, about where, where we draw this line and, and what was what, what someone where we really need to rethink how we think about them versus someone who was acting in a way that was appropriate at the time that, as we've evolved, is no longer appropriate. This, this inquiry about whether were these offensive views central to who they were and what they're famous for, I, I thought just... It's a thought exercise as much as anything, but I think it's an interesting way to take on this question. And for players, too, because then, you know, they think about that when the question comes up, you know, do you want to play in this court named after this person or do you want to, you know, associate yourself? So, like you said, interesting thought. It would be interesting to see if any player, back to Margaret Court, interesting to see whether any player says, you know what, I'm not comfortable played on a court named after this And that was our our, our story of the first week last year. And it, it sort of trickled away, and someone asked in the mailbag this week, you know, like, kind of whatever happened to that, right? Yeah, right. Whatever happened so. to this protest? Um, anyway, among the many sub-stories that we will look forward to at the 2018 Australian Open, we will do another podcast from Melbourne. Jamie, I wish you were coming to produce it in person. Me too. Maybe next year. I will uh, We'll do it off our iPhone, but don't tell anyone. Um, all right, that does it for this week. Uh, thanks again to uh, Mary for, uh, for a fun visit. Thanks to Jamie. Thanks for all of your suggestions. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. We will talk again from Melbourne. Enjoy the first few rounds of the Australian Open, everyone. <laughs>